If you like the podcast, please subscribe and read on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can follow Germania Divided and United on Twitter and Instagram at GermaniaPod. Hello, welcome to Germania Divided and United. taking whatever they found. Following the execution of Stilicho in August of 408, the western court of Ravenna fell under the influence of one of Honorius's ministers, a man named Olympias. We have little to no information on the early life and career of Olympias, and he primarily gets to represent the bad decisions the Roman administration made in their relationship with the Goths over the next few years. So if you find yourself getting upset about the stupidity and cruelty of the imperial decision-makers during this period, I want to reassure you that Olympias is eventually executed, for other reasons, which is almost as good as justice. With Stilicho now dead, the Romans decided that they did not need to hold themselves to the treaty they had made with Alaric, and the payments to the Visigoths were halted. This left Alaric with little recourse to invade Italia once again, and put pressure on Olympias and Honorius to honor the agreement. So, it must be time for another great battle between the Goths and the Romans, right? Well, not quite. Olympias was able to depose Stilicho by riding a wave of anti-barbarian sentiment to power. Between paying off Alaric, to sending soldiers to fight Constantine III rather than the Vandal invaders, to the recent settlement of defeated Goths following the invasion of 406, the degenerates of Rome, as Gibbon put it, believed that Stilicho had too much priority on protecting and providing for outsiders. So Olympias needed to show those people that he had his priorities straight, and that it would be Roman first under his leadership. So keeping in mind that I just told you his decision was going to be stupid and cruel, what policy initiative do you think Olympias decided to pursue to satisfy the Roman citizens? Do you think he offered them some kind of tax relief? Or that he negotiated some kind of settlement with Constantine III? Maybe he decided to expel some of the recently settled Goths from the empire. Not quite. These recently settled Goths were the families of the warriors who Stilicho had enrolled in the legions, providing their families with stability and security was an important piece of keeping the warriors loyal to the Roman army. Olympias sent an order throughout the western provinces that these Goths were to be identified, apprehended, and slaughtered. Every man, woman, and child. I am not eloquent enough to properly condemn the immorality and monstrosity of this genocidal order, nor am I eloquent enough to convey how pointlessly stupid and self-defeating this order was as well. The Roman legions really needed the Gothic reinforcements that had been so recently conscripted, and when they heard that an order had gone out to murder their families, these soldiers all deserted immediately. Those who escaped the initial slaughter immediately became refugees once again, and the only place they could go to seek refuge was to Alaric and his Visigothic army. Some of the sources record that Alaric's army added 30,000 warriors in the aftermath of this order as Goths flocked to his So with these defections, the Romans did not have an army in Italia that they could send out to meet the Visigoths in battle, 
and in the fall of 408, Alaric and his army have the run of the Italian countryside. But initially, Alaric was not interested in plundering and destruction. He wanted to negotiate a settlement with Honorius to regain the type of official position he had enjoyed a decade earlier. But Olympius and the other ministers surrounding Honorius convinced him to ignore these requests and to send away the Visigothic delegation with nothing. So Honorius neither negotiated with Alaric, nor did he call on the available legions to try and drive him away. He stayed behind the marshes and walls of Ripon. Alaric and the Visigoths then moved south down the peninsula towards Rome to see if he could bargain with and threaten the Senate. This type of invasion was the reason Aurelian hadn't built the walls of the Eternal City, but that construction project was nearly a century and a half in the past by this point, so the residents could not necessarily count on those walls to keep them safe. But Alaric first moved towards the port of Portus, situated on the north bank of the Tiber River on the western coast. The emperor Claudius had this port constructed to augment the port at Ostia, roughly four kilometers to the south, when it could no longer support the volume of commerce required for Rome. Most critically, this was the port to process the grain supply from North Africa that was so critical to feeding Rome. Now that Alaric occupied Portus, the city of Rome began to starve. With the court at Ravenna doing nothing, the Senate agreed that they needed to reach some kind of agreement with the Visigoths. With no access to public resources, the senators took up a collection, finally agreeing to pay Alaric a substantial sum. 5,000 pounds of gold, 30,000 pounds of silver, 3,000 pounds of pepper, along with thousands of fine silks and scarlet fleeces. As the Visigoths broke off their siege of Rome and moved back to Tuscany, Tens of thousands of slaves, many of them ethnic Goths, fled the city and the surrounding area to Alaric. After making these concessions to Alaric, a delegation of senators and church officials went to Ravenna to encourage Honorius to make some kind of Visigoths to prevent future conflict. Initially, Alaric commanded a senior command within the Roman military, as he had previously been granted in Constantinople along with control of the Alpine passes in northeastern Italia, extending to the area of the modern nations of Austria, Slovenia, and down to the Dalmatian coast of Croatia. Any communication or trade via land routes between the eastern and western empires would have therefore had to pass through territory Additionally, granted an annual stipend of gold and paid to his people to keep them fed and supplied. He was not interested in becoming a warrior follower. This was a far steeper price than Honorius and his ministers could agree to. To improve their bargaining position, the Western court reached out to every ally that could reasonably provide military support against Alaric. They reached out to the Huns, asking for a mercenary force of 10,000 men, but they did not receive any significant response to their request. Honorius sent envoys to the court of Constantine III in Gaul, with a gift of purple robes, signifying that he would now be recognized as having imperium over the northern empire, Gaul, Hispania, and But whatever support Honorius thought he would receive in exchange for this recognition, Constantine was not able to send any troops to Ravenna at this point, as he was still battling the Vandals and other tribes. 
Honorius did get support from the Roman legions in Illyria, who were not allied with Alaric. An army of 6,000 men came over to their power. But before they could determine a course of action, Alaric and his army ambushed them with a force that was likely at least 20,000 men strong. According to Zosimus, only a few hundred of the Illyrian men managed to escape, retreating down the road. If anything, the court at Ravenna was now even weaker than it had been at the time of Stilicho's death. There were no more reinforcements they could call on, and it was clear that they would not be able to field an army that could oppose Alaric and the Visigoths. Honorius had bargained away roughly half his territory to Constantine III, with no clear promise of reinforcement. So now it was time for Alaric to really put screws to Ravenna. Only, that was not what Alaric decided to do. For whatever faults he may have had as a leader, Alaric was pretty consistent during his career as the first king of the Visigoths, in that his priority was delivering his people stability that they had lacked since the Huns began to invade Central Europe around the time of his birth. And Alaric, at this point, seemed to believe that forcing the Romans into a humiliating peace now, while they were at their weakest, would just guarantee that they would turn on him as soon as they were stronger. So all Alaric asked for was territory for his people to settle in Noricum, in southern Austria, with an annual stipend of corn and grain. The Visigoths would serve as the border guard on the upper repelling Vandals, Huns, or any others who would try to invade Roman territory. And hopefully, this could be the start of a new period of peace and stability for all parties involved. Now, this seems like a pretty great deal for Honorius in the Ravenna court, as far as I can tell. For a pittance, he gets back control of Italia and strengthens the Danube border. He brings Alaric into the western sphere of influence, rather than having him allied with Constantinople. But for whatever reason, Honorius wouldn't do it. Maybe having already made concessions to Constantine III, he and his ministers felt they would be giving away too much control and influence. Maybe Olympias and the anti-barbarian faction argued against trusting Alaric. Maybe they all believed that Alaric and the Visigoths would have trouble continuing to feed themselves off the land into the fall and winter of 409, as they no longer controlled Portus and the grain supply from North Africa remained solidly under the control of men loyal to Honorius. Whatever the reason, with his demands rejected, Alaric once again advanced down towards Rome. Delegation from the Senate came to bargain with him to try and reach some kind of peaceful conclusion. Since Honorius would not negotiate in good faith, Alaric decided the Romans really deserved an emperor who would. In December 409, Alaric had the Senate proclaim one of their own, Priscus Attalus, as the Augustus of the Western Empire. Alaric and his brother Atolf were immediately given official commands in the Roman army. Now, if Attalus wanted to remain the Emperor of Rome, more so than coming to an official settlement with Alaric, he was going to have to regain control of the grain shipments from North Africa. That province was completely under the control of Honorius, so in his position as usurper, Attalus could not count on receiving the food that people needed to survive. After the Roman commander that Attalus sent to capture North Africa was defeated, Alaric asked for the command. But rather than heading to Africa, Alaric, Attalus, and the Visigoths marched back north towards Ravenna, though it is not clear if they wanted to negotiate with or depose Honorius.
By this point, Ravenna had by 4,000 soldiers sent from the east. So Honorius did not leave the little natural siege. The Visigoths were now camped a little over two kilometers in open negotiations. At this point, Alaric did depose the tallest as emperor, but crucially, he kept him by his side as a trusted advisor. While the negotiations were ongoing, a Gothic general from a rival family named Saurus, who had served Rome since the Battle of Verona, attacked the Visigoths' camp. It is not clear if Saurus was ordered by Honorius and his ministers, or if he was just hoping to replace Alaric as king. But either way, the attack failed, and in response, Alaric broke off negotiations and marched his army back to Rome. And so we reached the fateful day. 24th of August, 480. The Romans no longer had the forces to garrison the city walls, and the Visigoths were able to enter the city and proceeded to loot and pillage for three days. As good Christians, the Visigoths had sent out word that church property would be spared and any who took refuge in a church would be safe. But anyone found outside of a church was subject to assault and murder and the Visigoths took whatever they found from public and private places. After the three days, they gathered up their new possessions and left the city. By this point, Rome was not particularly important to the control of the Western Empire, but it was still emotionally traumatizing, both to the people of Rome and the citizens generally. But the forces under Alaric's command were not a Bulgarian horde with no knowledge of Roman civilization, Alaric had spent nearly his entire life living in Roman territory and serving Roman emperors. He had spent time as the Magister Militum of Illyricum, and many of his followers had previously been enrolled in the Roman legions under Stilicho. They would have worn Roman armor and uniforms and carried Roman weapons. Beyond his ethnically Goth followers, he had attracted a large following, especially among former slaves running away from the major villas and estates of northern Italy. It was a multi-ethnic coalition, and a coalition that was very familiar with Roman customs and political and social structures. That is why Alaric spared church property during the sack, and why he had spent two years trying to negotiate some kind of settlement before resorting to sacking Rome. But in the aftermath of the first sacking of Rome in 800 years, Alaric and his people were still in the same position they had been since Stilicho's death, migrating between Illyria and Italia not putting down firm roots because it did not seem safe to separate the community from the warriors given the recent massacres authorized by both Ravenna and Constantinople. They had carted off much of the wealth of the greatest city in the world, but still had nowhere to settle to convert that wealth into the necessities of life. Having ransacked northern Italia for two years, as the autumn of war had approached, the Visigoths migrated towards the south of the peninsula, into the toe of the boot. It seems that they planned to cross the Mediterranean to Sicily and then to northern Africa to take over the Roman breadbasket and finally have a secure base. But the Visigoths were not seafarers, and a storm was able to push their commandeered fleet back into the coast, forcing Alaric to abandon the plan. And sadly, this is where the story of Alaric, first king of the Visigoths, comes to an end. Sometime in late 410 or early 411, less than six months after the achievement that would ensure his name, 
throughout history for eternity. Alaric came down with a fever, and he died. In order to create a final resting place for their king, where he would not be disturbed, Jordanus writes the Visigoths diverted the course of a nearby river, dug out a grave for Alaric and a large amount of the treasures he had captured, and then returned the waters to their natural channel. Neither Alaric's body nor any of those treasures have ever been found. I must admit that I have conflicting feelings about Alaric and his legacy. When I started sketching out these episodes leading up to the sack of Rome, I was considering making the argument that Alaric was mostly a failure as the king of the Visigoths, that he constantly overplayed his hand, and that he was beaten easily by Stilicho any time he needed him, and then that he was only able to sack Rome at all because the court around Honorius deposed Stilicho without having a clear succession plan in place for military leadership, that the sack of the Eternal City represents Ravenna's failure more than Alaric's success. After digging a little deeper into the period, and considering the journey, the life of Alaric demonstrates that it is very hard to be the first leader of any. As a young boy, he was forced to emigrate with his family into a new country. The corrupt administration that was in place focused more on abusing and profiting off the misery of these refugees, rather than providing the support that was expected. After years of uncertainty, these Goths finally achieved some level of stability, Photos of 382, recognizing them as an independent nation. And during his teenage years, Alaric heard stories from the veterans of the Battle of Aden In his young adulthood, Theodosius twice called on Alaric and his people to support him in battle, and they answered the call both times. It must have seemed that there was a path for these Goths to integrate into Rome at the time, as many people had over the centuries. But in the aftermath of the Battle of the Frigidus and the death of Theodosius, the lover of the Gothic race, the relationship was strained. Considering that he was only 25 years old at this time, it speaks to his capabilities, his strength, his charisma, that Alaric was the one his people turned to as their king. Over time, as his mobile nation moved through the Balkans, down to Greece, and over to Italy, they picked up new members from runaway slaves across the empire. His Visigothic nation was a multi-ethnic nation by the time of his death. Alaric spent his entire reign trying to negotiate a stable place within the Roman hierarchy for himself and his people. Many Germanic people served within the Roman administration during this time, but in both the West and the East, their identity was eventually used against them, and in the aftermath, anti-German sentiment led to slaughter. If Alaric was occasionally bold in his methods, as when he invaded Italia in 401, it was pretty clear that he did not want to be forced into bargaining for a position of weakness due to the dire consequences it could have. Alaric is remembered as a warrior king, so it is somewhat ironic that he never really defeated the Romans in an open battle. He was crushed at the Battle of Verona, and the best thing to be said about the other major battles was that they were inconclusive. His ambush and slaughter of the Illyrian troops coming to reinforce Honorius is probably his greatest military success as king. In Simon McDowell's book, The Goths, Conquerors of the Roman Empire, he points out that the event Alaric is most remembered for, the sack of Rome, represents what might have been his greatest failure as king. He never set out to be a destroyer of Rome or to capture the Eternal City. 
He was trying to negotiate a permanent settlement and position for his people within the empire. The refusal of Honorius and the advisors around him to make any kind of good faith effort to reach a compromise forced Alaric's hand, and in the end he never did lead his people into a stable kingdom. But the Visigothic identity coalesced around these followers, and eventually they would form a kingdom on the Iberian Peninsula that would last until the Muslim conquest. If Stilicho represented the ability of an individual German to achieve great power and status within the Roman Empire, then Alaric showed that the Germanic peoples had the power to push against the terms that the central authorities wanted to impose upon them. Alaric showed that the Roman Empire could be battled against, that the emperors were not all-powerful against the tribal kings, and that a Germanic people could carve out some of the wealth for themselves. While the Visigoths did not get the permanent settlement Alaric sought for them in his lifetime, he made the possibility of Germanic people breaking off a kingdom for themselves go from fantasy to opportunity. (laughs) 